Welcome to Originality, the podcast where we explore the roots of creativity and creative genius. I am one of your hosts, Aline Sims, and I am joined by Kate Tempest Bradford. Fall. Welcome to fall, everybody. Well, unless you're in the Southern Hemisphere. And then you're lucky because it's spring. No, and fall is the best. Uh, look, some people out there are being excited about pumpkin spice, I guess. <laughs> I am like, but where's the warmth, though? Where's the sun and long days and awesomeness? See, I like sweaters and cold, and I do not like being warm, so Mm. I am all about the fall and winter, although I hope it doesn't snow this winter, but I think it might. I hate snow. I refuse to deal with snow. If there's snow anywhere, I run away. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Tropical vacation when the snow hits. I should plan that. Anyway, so today it's been a little while since we've had a guest, um, and I will let this week's guest introduce herself. My name is Rosemary Orchard. Uh, I I am a blogger, a podcaster, a programmer, a nerd, and I try to do stuff. And sometimes these things happen, and frequently these things do not happen. Yay stuff. Yay stuff. Uh, Yeah, it's... it's, uh, so. I was in the middle of writing my field guide, which I've talked about on this podcast before. I don't think I've ever mentioned that it is actually out into the world. So if you're um, an independent Mac or iOS developer, that that exists and is a thing you can purchase. Uh, but I hated every second of writing it. Sad face. Yeah. And so I was like, hey, does anyone want to? come talk about how hard writing is and how much it sucks especially I think um like this kind of technical nitty-gritty type stuff Mm -hmm. yeah so that's why Rose is here and let me let her tell you what she's written the, the work that I'm most known for is probably Build Your OmniFocus Workflow, which is a book that I co-wrote uh, with a friend of mine, Ryan Dotson, about OmniFocus. The title is somewhat obvious. I, I have to be forgiven for that. Um, and so that's what probably what I'm most known for. But of course, I also write blog posts, um, lots of them for everything from my own blog to the sweet setup of Mac stories. And I'm trying to work on some other projects as well at the moment, which are hmm, maybe not going so well, which is why I answered in the affirmative to your Twitter call out. What? Things are going well. <laughs> that's not a story that any of us are familiar with right? at all. Everything always goes smoothly all the time. Yeah, and Rose is like this productivity automation um, wizard. She's uh, like, she turns to automation for pretty much everything that she can, which is the exact opposite of me where it's like, I'm doing this repetitive thing. I wonder if there's a way that I can get something to do part of this for me. Um, my brain does not make it to uh-huh. <laughs> that 
Like, I just I, I just do not think that way. Um, and also OmniFocus, which is an excellent piece of software, uh, especially if you've read like David Allen's Getting Things Done and are trying to apply some of those methodologies to your life. Um, I don't use OmniFocus. I have people who work. I, I have friends who work at Omni. I'm sorry I don't use it. But um, but yeah, it's this really complicated piece of software. So um, breaking all of that down and making it um, making a, a guidebook for people, I think is incredibly valuable. Yeah, definitely. Because first of all, a tool is only as good as its documentation. And as I have learned in the past few years, nobody wants to do documentation. They just want to make tools. Yep. And then you end up with sad people who don't know how to do anything. Ask me about my degree in technical writing, which is <laughs> specifically for documenting stuff. Um, yeah, so, but Rose has written a lot of stuff. And um, even though it's hard, we talked about why she loves doing it. So let me have her uh, tell y'all why she likes, um, why she loves what she does. I love ideas. They're, they're, they're so much fun because there are so many possibilities and writing down the idea is not terrifying. Outlining the idea is not terrifying and thinking about the idea is not terrifying. And then it comes to the writing of the idea, which is then the terrifying part. But I love the ideas part. Tempest, is that true for you? Are you like a lover of the ideas and it's harder when you get into it? Yeah. Yeah. I look the best the best part of the book is the next part that I'm going to be writing and not the part <laughs> that I'm writing at that moment. That part is the stupidest part of the book. And why did I even think that anybody wanted to ever look about look at this and learn about these people? I'm like, whatever. But the next part, oh man, you should see how great it's gonna be because it's in my head and I can see it, can visualize it. And then of course, when you get to that part, you're like, oh, this part is so terrible. But the next part. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be so much better. It's going to be super mega great. Yeah. When I was writing the guide, I spent a lot of time. So I got some like three by five inch index cards. I think three by five is the index card measure. Um, and I actually chopped those in half. So two and a half by three inch index cards. And I just I'm wrote everything down on those so that I could play around and sort them out. And uh, that was awesome. I even went to a, a game store. I got deck boxes like for, you know, magic or Pokemon or whatever deck based games kids are playing now. Um, it's like Hearthstone, but in real space. Mm. <laughs> so I got some deck boxes and like would carry these cards around with me in my purse and like pull them out on the bus and look at them. And uh, at some point, maybe talking about outlining as a procrastination technique is in order because mm. I did a <laughs> lot, a lot of that. Like, And I think it was a defense mechanism for actually like, so my big concern when writing nonfiction is like, did I get everything in this? Mm -hmm. The logical answer is no. There's yeah. Cause you can't, you can't put everything in the everything. Yeah. I, when I'm writing nonfiction, I have a lot of the time 
the the voice of people who are going to make annoying comments yeah, yeah. in my head. And I'm like, oh, got to head off that annoying comment by writing this. Got to head off this other annoying comment. Yeah. And when you do that, I mean, one, I feel like there's a lot of pressure because yeah. you're you're trying to appease the still imaginary voices in your head. And I think this is something that everybody in any creative thing does, right? Is like when you put something out in the world, like you're doing it with the knowledge. I mean, if you have any experience with it, with the knowledge that you're probably going to get people who don't like it and will tell you about it or tell you where Mm -hmm. you made a mistake. And what's hard in writing nonfiction like this or writing instructional stuff is that you have to make so many choices, right? You have to pick a path forward and there might be edge cases that you don't talk about, or there might be entire things that you just kind of brush over because if you tried to talk about them in any kind of detail, everything would get bogged down or you're trying to head those voices off at the past and answer all of the questions or respond to all of the criticism preemptively. And it just turns into this, labyrinth of stuff you know right right and that's and that's how people like get I don't know like they get too bogged down in a project is where they're like but but I have to like cover every angle I have to think of everything and it's it's not always true I mean like I know with a lot of the kind of nonfiction that I was writing that wasn't necessarily like tech journalism um but you know like essays opinion pieces and whatnot I did feel like I had to sort of head off at the past, like whatever people would say, but here's what would happen. Then they would just come with other terrible questions or comments <laughs> that I didn't anticipate. And I was like, oh, so basically the problem here isn't that I'm not being clear or I'm not covering all my bases. The problem here is, is that people just want to yell and be combative about this thing that I'm writing about. I mean, there's obviously still value in like being as comprehensive as you can for, you know, and, and doing the right amount for the project that you're working on. But you you can anticipate every comment. Yeah. And I kind of feel like. At, at least for me, part of that journey is really understanding who is in my audience um, mm-hmm. and so that I can anticipate what they need and what their questions will be, but not making it so broad that I'm trying to address everybody, right? There, there's got to right. be some baseline level of knowledge that you're, you, you can assume that people know because otherwise, like in my case, it's like, oh, well, now I'm explaining to you what an app store is or I'm explaining to you what a phone is or you mm. know whatever. So like there's there's a baseline. And so I find that is a really, really good first step for kind of quelling that is just doing I literally do an audience analysis and I sit down and I think about who composes my audience and what they need to know. Yeah. Um, so 
we have talked about some of our challenges. Um, I asked Rose what was so difficult about writing for her. And I think that a lot of people are going to relate to this too. I'm a perfectionist. Um, and this means that I know that whatever I write, the first time I write it, I'm not going to be happy with it. So I'm going to have to go back and edit it. And editing is a lot of work, um, which makes life difficult. Because then, of course, I think, well, I should just do it right the first time around. And then that's hard. And so I end up in the circle of either I'm going to have to do more work now or I'm going to have to do more work later. And I just then don't do any work, which is really not good for me. So I can't relate to this in any way. Can you? No. Yeah. No. This is such a foreign concept to me. I just, what? (laughs) Yeah. And we've Uh, never talked about perfectionism on the show at all. No. Um. (laughs) Every artist everywhere is perfect, right? Yes. I know. I am. Yep. Sarcasm font. Yep. Um. So yeah, like that. That particular spiral is one that's super familiar to me. Um. In part because, yeah. On the one hand, I kind of just want to get it right out of the gate, but part of it is also that I get frustrated, I guess is the right word, when I I do a thing, you know, I create a thing, whether it's a short story or a novel chapter or whatever. And I'm like, man, I gotta go back and like fix this. Like what's wrong with me that like it couldn't have just like come out of my fingers the right way the first time. And part of this comes from reading too many good books. Yeah. <laughs> just being like, they got it right. Why can't I? Um, and also hearing too many terrible people try to say that like they wrote that book that way the first time mm-hmm. it came out of their fingers. Uh, that's either a lie or actually you're talking to people who are not very good because there are very, very few people who make such a clean first draft that they that they don't need to go back and polish or there are people who like make a, make a decent first draft of whatever. And they do a little, little bit of polishing, but they never do any deep stuff, but then they also never get better at their craft. Uh, and I know a few writers who are like this and I was I think just what, sitting here thinking of some specific people. Hmm, <laughs> right. And And one of the issues that comes up is, well, if you're never going to get any better at this, I mean, like, I guess it's fine because there have been plenty of people who have published plenty of person who has created something that's like fine. It's just fine. But I think that I like get really, first of all, I get really twitchy because I'm like, but there are people who are out there like working so hard on their craft and how come like you are being allowed to publish your thing. That's like fine as opposed to somebody's thing. That's super awesome. And we all know the answer to that, uh, terribleness. And, um, but, but at the same time, like some people, like they just kind of want something that's just fine. And some people want something that's really finely crafted. And so it all sort of comes down to like, what kind of thing do you want to create? And of course, there are some people who like always have to like turn in something that's really well crafted. Like it's not going to be acceptable to turn in something that's just fine. Uh, Those people do not tend to be white, heterosexual, cisgender men. 
the rest of us sometimes have to do a little bit of extra work to make sure our thing is published. But yeah. but at the same time, like, yeah, I I feel like a lot of the writers that I came up with spent a lot of their time unnecessarily giving themselves grief over the fact that like they're going to have to make a revision. They're going to have to polish that up. It's never going to come out exactly right the first time. This is part of the reason why I chose to be so transparent about how I hated every second of this process. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, I think to people who were kind of reading my tweets as I was, as I was talking about this stuff or like, Oh, you really, really hate this, this, you know, why are you doing this to yourself? You're never going to get this done because I felt like I was never going to get that done. And I Mm -hmm. was very like vocal about that, but I wanted people to see, this is kind of a theme in my life. I wanted people to see that this isn't easy you know, and this can be whatever. It can be learning how to draw. It can be learning a new craft. It can be whatever. Um, It's not easy and it's a struggle and not every moment in doing it is fun. But in the end, you can have something to show for it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that doesn't have to be putting a thing up for sale. It can be finishing a thing and being like, Hey, yeah, look, I finished that. You know, it doesn't have to be sharing it with anybody. And there for me, and I think for a lot of writers um, and a lot of creators, there's a lot of satisfaction in in finishing a thing and being able to look at it and say, oh, hey, I actually did that. And parts of it really sucked, but it was worth it. Or maybe it wasn't. And then you reevaluate your whole entire life. But for me, it was worth it, you know? Yeah. And it is worth it. Like just all the work that you put into a thing is usually worth it. And and this is a thing that um I feel like some writers really get stuck on. They're like, oh no, like I wrote all these words and now it turns out that like this is not the thing I should have been doing. This is not the path I should have followed. Um, something bigger than that. Like uh, this this particular book is not going to be published for whatever reason. And they're and they tend to think of like all of that work as a waste. But all of the work you do creatively is never a waste because all of it has taught you something. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you think of it that way, then like even if you're like, oh, no, like I'm not going to be able to use this exact 20,000 words because of other things that happen. We you know, restructured, like something had to be cut, you know, whatever. But like you learn something about craft and you learn something about your characters and the world and whatever from writing those 20,000 words. It's never going to be wasted, that effort. Yeah. And I think this this has been a recurring theme on originality. And we had a whole podcast about it where we were talking about failure and reframing failure because... I I don't, in most cases, I do not believe in failure. I just believe in ways of learning how to not do things, you know, like uh, life is an experiment and you're not going to do things perfectly. So it's all about figuring out how to do things better for me. Yeah. So we know what Rose has written. 
we know that she really loves the idea phase. Uh, mm-hmm. We know part of, at least part of why writing can be so difficult for her. Um, so why does she write uh, if all of this is so hard sometimes? Because there's a sense of satisfaction afterwards where you you may not have enjoyed the process itself, but once it's done, you, you then just have this feeling of, I struggled through it. Yeah, it was difficult, but I really enjoyed it. And I, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm shallow, but I like to be able to say I'm a writer um, because it sounds kind of impressive, let's be honest. Um, but also, you know, it, it's nice being able to like look and see that there's something that you've done that you, if you wanted to, you could print it out and put it on your bookshelf. Um, or you could get somebody to print it in a fancy, you know, bound format. Um, and it's really nice seeing that. Not that there's anything wrong with producing video or audio or things like that. You know, audio could be put on CDs, video could be put on DVDs if you really want bookshelves full of stuff, um, which then at some point somebody's going to make you go through and ask, does this spark joy? Um, but it, it's, I don't know, there's just something about the written word. And I have a thing for pens, um, which sounds kind of crazy, but I do actually frequently find sometimes, well, frequently, sometimes that doesn't make sense. I often find, you know, if I'm stuck with writing, then it's easier to pick up a pen and a piece of paper and write something and then type it up later. So we're all in it for the satisfaction of having done a thing, I guess. I mean, hey, sometimes it's really nice to be like, boop, I did that. It's done. It exists in the world. Now I can do something else. Thank God. Boop. <laughs> Because sometimes you just want to step back and never look at it again. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> I think that's part of why putting things, you know, you hear authors talk about, oh, yeah, I put it in a drawer and I come back to it later. Or um, I've seen, you know, ceramicists are like, this technique is not working for me. I need to to reevaluate it. And they step away and think about it for a while or, you know, whatever. Um but yeah, there's there's a lot of value in stepping away and at least maybe not never look at it again, but don't look at it for a while. Yeah, well, that's this is something that actually I learned from reading Stephen King uh, in his book on writing. He was talking about how when he writes a novel, once he gets done with the first draft, he doesn't look at it again for six weeks. And and he's like, six weeks is enough for you to sort of forget the book a bit um, so that you can come back to the revision phase with fresh eyes. And he's like, but you don't necessarily stop writing in those six weeks. He's like, many of my novellas and short stories have been written in the six weeks between novel drafts. And, and so, yeah, I was like, that makes a lot of sense. So usually when I complete a thing, I do put it away for a bit um, in order to forget it so that I can revise it. But it feels really good to finish things. Super does. It does. I'm all about that. Finishing stuff. I also wanted to talk about the pen thing because that's actually a technique that I employed when I was writing the guide. Um, I actually didn't do it with pen and paper. And I think we've talked about how there's science supporting kind of the the different brain stuff that happens when you write by hand versus when you type. 
But when I was writing the guide, what I would do is I would pull up uh, an app called GoodNotes on my iPad and I would take my Apple Pencil and I would write, uh, I would at least write a few sentences or a couple of paragraphs of the, the next thing that I needed to write. And then I could flip over to um, Bear or Pages, which are the two apps that I used to write the guide in and you know, transcribe what I'd written. And then I was on a roll and I could continue writing. Um, I mean, th there were some days I only wrote one sentence. But, um, mm -hmm. I found, I thought that was such, such a helpful trick. And I think again, not just for writers, I, th I think that there is inherent value in sitting down and writing things by hand from time to time that can just, you know, I don't know if it forces you to slow down or, think about things in a different way or maybe focusing on your and hand-eye coordination or whatever. But it's it's a really, really helpful technique for me to kind of help kickstart my creativity and help me focus. Yeah. No, there there are. There are lots of studies that say when we write things by hand, we're activating a creative part of our brain. Um, and I remember an author, Andrea Harrison, said to me, that it's because when we write by hand, every letter is different, right? And and each letter has been something that we have like created in our brain. We've created a pathway for that letter in the way that we write it. And so because we're engaging in the act of creation, um, writing by hand can unlock your creative brain. Whereas when you're typing, it's the same movement no matter what letter you're typing, mm -hmm. right? You're pressing a button. And that does not light up the creative parts of your brain. And it's, and it's not unique in and of itself to type an A or a B or a Y. Um, and so then that means that you're, like different parts of your brains are being active. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that like all creativity has to happen via handwriting, but I, that I do employ the whole like writing by hand thing to get my creative juices flowing because I have found it to be a really necessary tool um, in my drafting process. And when I'm stuck, I then break out a paper and pen um, in order to get unstuck. And it works almost every time. I, and I have used electronic stuff for that. I still like the feel of the paper and pen for that purpose, but I have been known to use like my Galaxy Note to actually create notes. This is why I still use this phone, even though it's larger than God's head <laughs> and it grows like exponentially more expensive every year. You need to get a Samsung Galaxy Fold now. No. <laughs> no. No. Look. Look, I don't trust that technology because didn't like all the ones. Never mind. The, okay. The initial batch, people did kind of peel <laughs> some of the screen them. off. They broke and, them. And, and the hinges were not super great. <laughs> but I'm actually really excited. Totally tangential. But I'm excited by the folding phone stuff. Um, I, I mean, wanna have, I'm. I want to have an itty bitty phone in my pocket, but I want to have the room to like you know, breathe when I want to read a book or whatever. Yeah. And, and I'm sure that that technology eventually will stop being 
as much of a gimmick as it is kind of right now. Like it's, it's slowly moving out of the gimmick phase, but, um, but yeah, like mostly right now, I just don't, I don't trust it. I'm just like, no, no, I don't blame you. I'm just going to stick over here with my, my, my little tiny pen on my screen. But yeah, so I, I do a lot of writing by hand, but I, I also do a lot of writing by hand inside of actual physical journals and stuff. But I do find that that helps me. And, and yeah, it's, and some people can't, you know, they really can't because of whatever they have, like a physical limitation, you know, their hand gets cramped really easily. But I often say like, if you can do a little bit of writing, if you can just doing a few sentences, you know, like you said, to start, and then you switch over to the thing that's actually more comfortable. But yeah, it's, it all depends on like what works for your brain and your process. Yeah. And I mean, if this is something that you want to try to do, there are a lot of things like, don't worry about what it looks like. Don't worry about, I mean, it needs to be barely legible. You need to be able to read what you wrote, you know, like, but it's, you're not presenting this as like the exemplar for whatever language you're writing in for, you know, it's not like the best handwriting sample in the world or anything like that. You don't have to, if you're writing on a lined notebook, you don't have to stand the lines. Like you're just remind yourself of what your purpose is and stop creating barriers to just getting words on the page. Yeah. We should change the name of this podcast to stop creating barriers. <laughs> Well, while we're talking about this, let's um, let's kind of dive into writing environments or creating environments. Um, and I'll play the clip of Rose explaining what her ideal writing environment is. So what I would ideally do in every scenario is take my my 11 inch iPad Pro to work um, after work, go sit in a cafe, um, get like a fancy lemonade with like, I don't know, melon and kiwi or something like that um, and sit there. And those are usually like half liter sizes. So I can sit there for a while drinking my way through it and just write as much as I can. Um, and I will usually use headphones of some kind to try and block out some of the noise, but nobody's talking to me because it's a cafe. Everybody's there doing whatever it is they like, um, and sit there and just get on with things. Um, and that's really nice because I found going somewhere else, even though I have a desk at home and theoretically it's a workspace, it's, I'm kind of renting a table in the cafe. So I'm paying I'm putting my money where my mouth is and I, I have to then get my money's worth. Um, and then when I'm done, this is the great part of being in a cafe. I can order a cake and celebrate. Um, and so I really enjoy doing that. Unfortunately, um, I have recently broken my ankle and been traveling a lot. Um, not necessarily with the broken ankle, but when the ankle's not broken, I travel a lot, which means that my, my ideal schedule and routine is just completely out of the window, which means that I'm there trying to write on my iPad on the tram on the way to work or trying to write at my desk at home, which for some reason just does not work at the moment at all. I think I may need to rearrange the apartment or something. Um, but yeah, so that that's what's happening right now. So I'm trying to cram it in and it's not working great and I'm feeling not good because I haven't accomplished things that I wanted to accomplish, which makes me feel sad. Okay, I can relate to a lot of that. So first question is when you work at a cafe or a coffee mm -hmm. shop, which I do frequently, um, do you trust strangers not to touch your stuff when you go to the restroom or you get up to refill your water or whatever? 
Uh, yeah, I do. And usually what I'll do is if there's somebody nearby, I'll be like, can you look at my watch after my stuff while I go to the bathroom? And then like, I'll take my purse and my phone. Right. But, um, but I'll leave the rest of it. And, um, I remember reading an article about New Yorkers and how if you were polite and said to another New Yorker in a cafe, can you watch my stuff? They will actually like watch your stuff. You know, they're not going to like stare at it, but they'll make sure that like no like strange person comes along and tries to take it. But if you don't ask them, then they're not paying attention. They don't care. And even if they know that that giant Kodiak bear was not who was sitting there with the laptop before, they're going to like, whatever, I'm not messing with the Kodiak bear who wants to take the laptop. You know, like, they and, and so, yeah, like actually involving people in by saying, could you please watch my stuff? Then yes. See, I think I worked in the healthcare industry for too long because I am the person who packs up everything takes it into the restroom and hopes that my seat will still be there when I'm done because no I well okay but if you think about it from like a legal standpoint I kind of had to do that um in my 20s because you don't just leave a laptop full of patient information in a cafe and go to the restroom but I just I don't know it's like I'm responsible for my stuff and I'm going to watch it. But other people are are willing to be responsible for it for the 10 minutes that it takes you to pee. But, I, okay, it doesn't take me 10 minutes to pee for one well, thing. Well, okay, <laughs> yes, but whatever. Like, you're gone a maximum of 10 minutes. I'm just saying, because, like, there's the washing of hands. There's the, like, okay, yeah, there's the waiting because everything's full. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But, like, yeah, like, for 10 minutes maximum, somebody is cool with, like, just watching after your I stuff. I don't know. But what if I've trusted the wrong person and they're going to take all my – I shouldn't say this. You do you, people. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to, like, make – like transfer my anxieties on everybody else. <laughs> I mean, I mean the way that I the way that I solve this particular problem is like I do have Lojack for laptops, like it's mm. all on my laptop. But like also, yeah, just it's it's not happened. You know, I've never like if I've said to somebody, "Can you watch my stuff?" Have I ever come back and they're gone, my stuff is gone? Like everybody, you know, and I've never seen it happen either, yeah. you know, or even had a friend tell me that it happened to them or a right. friend of a friend like that. Yeah. I, yeah. You're because yeah. most people, most people are like aware enough, you know, like even if some stranger were to come along, they'd be like, wait a minute, you weren't that person who was sitting there. Like, what are you doing? You know, there's, there's too much. Like the, that's that tends to not be at least from what I've heard, like where the thefts happen. Yeah. So don't worry about it. Just like ask somebody to watch your stuff and leave it. Take some of the stuff with you. Pee fast. Come back. <laughs> <laughs> Title. Pee fast. Come back. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, yeah. But like the other I, I mean, the thing with writing in cafes, I'm a big proponent of the cafe writing. Yeah, me too. And um. I noticed she said something like, you know, my desk at home is terrible. <laughs> Mine too. And yeah, and I know that feeling. And it's like you do have to have like the right space to work, but you don't want to use like not having the right space to work as like another way to procrastinate. Right. So I have some very specific ideas about like where I will go work if I'm working in a cafe. 
and what it has to have and what it has to not have and such. And actually, in the past few years, the big discovery that I made about myself is that I need to go to a cafe where they have couch-like seats, you know, like booths um, mm-hmm. or, or like cushiony seats, whatever. Like I, my body cannot deal with regular chairs anymore. Like I'm already, you know, the world is already against me regarding chairs because I'm bi. And as we all know, bi people can't sit in chairs right anyway. <laughs> so like I'm never sitting in a chair right and and then like regular chairs are like making everything worse by making it like painful not to sit correctly because I can't sit correctly um and so yeah like I I remember discovering this one time when I had been out with some people we met at a place I had never been to and the place had like the cushiony booth seating and I I got so much writing done that day and then at other times I would go and like I didn't write as much and I was like ah why why don't I like this place and I was like wait a minute I think that like literally what it was is that the entire time that I was sitting in that place on that bench or that boothy couchy thing I was not thinking about my my seating position I was not thinking about any discomfort like I was just my body was not giving me agita and therefore I could just write. And so now, yeah, like that's the thing. Like if I go to a cafe, it has to have a certain kind of seat because if it doesn't, then I can't be comfortable. I'll be sitting there and I'm like, crap, my leg hurts now. Crap, this hurts now. Oh, my butt, you know, this, whatever. And so I need to go somewhere where I find that I don't have to think about my body. So I can just think about the thing that I'm writing. And for other people, it's like, what what you are thinking too much about or distracted by is going to be a different thing. So like, I know some people who literally can't write in the cafe because they're like, there's all these people around and they're making noises. And even if I have headphones on, like they're still like moving. Yeah. <laughs> and, like there's there. motion, like the, the predatory response. Right. I can't deal with this. I can't deal with like the different smells of the things that are like being cooked or, you know, like if it's coffee or whatever, like there are some things that like people are just, never going to be able to deal with um and that's okay too but just like yeah it's always a thing like trying to find the the right place to get things done but not in such a way that it causes you to like procrastinate i can't write today because i don't have (laughs) the exact seat that i need in order to write um what i will say that is that the importance of being able to write where you live uh, can sometimes be crucial. Uh, and again, only recently, like now that I know like what I need in order to be able to like sit and write. I, when I first moved into the apartment that I'm in right now, I went out looking for a chair and it was going to have to be a chair that I could sit in and work and write. And and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to find the right chair. And then I end up finding the perfect chair. And so now, like, I can live in that chair. It looks like a great chair. <laughs> it's pretty great. And yeah. so I can live in that chair and I can work in it. I have done some writing at home, but I do tend to prefer the writing outside of the home. Um, but I can do it and I definitely can work. So, so yeah, like, finding, finding out what it is that like you really need like you're sitting down and really assessing that it can be really important. 
Yeah. And it's also a process too. So if you're in the middle of of figuring out what you need, that's okay. It's kind of, there's, there's a discovery process that goes with that. I'm very similar in that um, most chairs make my back hurt within like 15 minutes or so. And if I stay there any longer than that, um, I end up in excruciating pain for like a week. So I have to be really careful about where I work. Um, and I do well with a bustle of people. One of my favorite things to do in college was go to Arizona State University's main campus, uh, which was not my campus, but I went to the main campus and sat in the student union just because I worked so much better when there were a lot of people around. Um, I think because it forced me to focus in a way that is really hard for me to do when things are quiet. Mm -hmm. I've been trying to work from home. And in fact, I've been thinking I'm kind of frustrated with the laptop life. And I've been like, well, maybe I could get a desktop desktop computer and work from home. I have a desk. Um, But the problem is I also have furry little creatures and an open apartment. It's not quite (laughs) a studio, but there's nowhere I can, like, I can't um, separate myself from them. And so, like, today, Raven was sleeping in my office chair. And, um, you know, I can't, I because of my back issues, I have to have an array of, um, <laughs> of accommodations for myself. And so I can't work on the couch anymore that used to be exclusively I would work on in like a comfy chair, the couch or whatever with the laptop on my lap. And I can't do that now. And so I've been like, oh, I'll just get, you know, I'll get an iMac and get a refurbished iMac or something. And I'll use that as my computer. But I don't know that I can work here. So anyway, all of that is to say, like, I'm in the process of figuring this out. Um, you will be in a process of figuring out what you need to And also those needs are going to change and evolve over time. And you've just got to be open to that. So try to pay attention to what's working and what's not working and um, be okay as much as you can with um, evolving things over time. Uh, I don't know. That's one of the big things that I've taken away from ADHD coaching, which I've started doing is like, I have this idea in my head that I'm going to get everything figured out and it's going to be perfect, which as I'm saying, it is ridiculous, mm-hmm. but, but you still want it. Like it's definitely yeah. something you're like, no, this can, I can make it work. Yeah. And it's, I feel like it's this deeply held belief I have that people who are neurotypical just like are able to make things work magically. I know that's not true, <laughs> but it's mm. like, I feel like. You know, and I think this kind of goes back to, again, why I'm so open about things online is because we get this messaging, like the societal messaging that, you know, um, XYZ startup founder was a huge success, overnight success. And again, we've talked about this on originality. They weren't overnight successes, hardly ever. This was like their fourth, fifth, sixth iteration working on something and they were figuring things out as they went. And that's the exact same thing that happens with my ideal working environment. It just changes what I need changes over time, unfortunately. Yeah. Also, just keep in mind that a lot of times people who 
who allow those kind of stories to go out there are just lying. Yeah. There's also that. Yep. Like they're just lying. They're just like, it's like, ah, yes. Like what I do is I get up every morning at 4 a.m. and I exercise for an hour and then like I do this and this and these are the reasons why I'm successful. It's like, mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you're the reason why you're successful is because you're a white dude who walked into a room full of white dudes and asked for money. And they said, sure, you're white and a dude. <laughs> that makes you qualified. Here, have some money yeah. for this idea for a company that's literally just that we sh you ship packages of pulped up fruit to people who have bought a very expensive machine to take that fruit and make it into a juice. Oh, juicero. Rest in peace. I mean, but like it, it, as much as I like being funny, but like sometimes that's that's literally what's going on. Yeah. It's just that like, I mean, there there are articles after articles after articles talking about how like the majority of VC money goes to white cisgender men and and all the reasons for that. And, you know, it's it's cultural, it's racism, it's, you know, whatever it is. Um, but then like the stories that like are spun out of these, you know, people's lives are like you know, oh, here's the the morning ritual that Steve Jobs did in order to be successful. You do it. You'll be successful like Steve Jobs. It's like, mm, that's not how that works. So yeah, getting caught up in that is is definitely not a great idea. But But finding a ritual or a way of doing things that works for you is a good idea. Um, it just is not going to fix everything. It's not magical. But yeah, like the stories are all like totally magical how he decided to wake up at six in the morning and that changed everything for him. Well, everyone knows Steve Jobs was successful because he wore jeans and black turtlenecks and sneakers. And that yes. was the key, key to, to his, his success. success. Yeah. Everything. Yep. So yeah. So be sure <laughs> to wear those things as well. So do you have, you talked a little bit about what you need from like a coffee shop at this point. Do you have an ideal working environment or ideal uh setup figured out um well at this point right now and i know it's going to change because change is <laughs> it's great i love jerk face change, change. <laughs> right? uh, so right now um i do my best fiction writing outside of the house but in a pinch i will write in the house and i've also with the last project that I finished, I figured out like a sort of specific ritual for getting into the writing that made the writing go f not necessarily faster, but it got me into it easier. And the thing that I know is that it's not going to be, <laughs> it's not going to work the same once I go back to different projects. I'm like, dang it. But that's where, that's the template I'm going to start with um, is the thing that worked for the last project just because you know, like tinkering around with the with the writing ritual is a tried and true way of procrastinating uh, for for any writer. <laughs> yes. uh, tried and true. But but it's because like once you hit on the thing that works, it's so good. Yeah. Uh, but then, yeah, the big problem is, is that it doesn't work always for every project. Yeah. What's that? Like, I can't tell you how to write a book. I can tell you how how. I wrote this specific book or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to, it's going to change every time. It's, isn't that great change guys? <sighs> yeah. It's great. It's the only constant. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, things that are really helpful, and I'm still figuring this out. That's part of why I have um, decided to invest in the ADHD coaching is because not only am I kind of lost at sea with all of this, um, also a lot of the advice out there for people are for people with, you know, not borked up neurology. And so, um, I'm sorry if you have ADHD, like it's, our brains just don't do dopamine and serotonin the way they're supposed to. And so like, turns out that's responsible for a lot of things in life. And, Mm. um, so anyway, she's helping me kind of figure out, um, what I can do with my brain, um, being what it is, because, you know, one of the things that we've talked about is how that my coach and I have talked about is how, you know, just sitting down and doing like writing sprints, sitting down and writing for an hour is really, really hard. And it's really hard to repeat. And part of that is because it depletes your dopamine. And so she's like, okay, your dopamine is depleted when you do that. So you need to refill it. So you need to go play a video game. And I'm like, what? (laughs) She's telling me to play a video game. That's Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so now it's nice because then I know, you know, I'm reaching for my phone to play just like a match three or something, you know, it, it doesn't have to be complex, but I'm reaching for my phone to play a game for 15 minutes. And instead of beating myself up for not doing work, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm replenishing my dopamine. So I'm setting myself up for success the next time I sit down to do this, you know? Um, Other things that are really helpful to me are if I have my to-dos for the day written down. Um, I'm currently using a Hobonichi Weeks um, for the rest of this year, I'll put, we'll put a link in the show notes. So, um, if you're at all paper planner inclined, you can fall down the Hobonichi, um, I don't know, black hole. (laughs) (laughs) It, It is something, but you know, just, just writing down the one or two or three big things I need to accomplish every day in there is incredibly helpful because if I do that the night before, one, I'm not thinking about what I need to do all night long. I can just write it down and forget about it and start the next day and I'm in good shape. Um, But yeah, but two, I don't have to think about it in the morning. I don't have to be like, well, what did I decide I was going to do? Or even getting distracted by things around the apartment that I need to do. Like I have my go-to list and that's super helpful to me. Um, if I'm working out of the house, I really like having coffee shop buddies <laughs> for obvious reasons. Um, mm-hmm. But they have to be people who will who we don't converse. It has to be someone who I'm comfortable just sitting in silence with, you know, uh, and that can be a little bit hard to to do. Like, do you want to come to a coffee shop with me but not talk? Never speak to me. Do not speak to me. Never. Um, so that's super helpful. And again, from an ADHD perspective, that's really helpful. It's helpful. They call it body doubling to have kind of someone who you tell, okay, for this, it's the same thing that we do when we do work parties together. Um, I'm going to do this thing for the next half hour. And then when you're done, you can be like, did I get that thing done? Why not? You know, and do a little bit of evaluation, but that's super helpful for 
a lot of people and extremely helpful for people with ADHD. So those are a couple of things that I'm discovering are really, really good for me, but I don't really have a routine yet. I'm still trying to figure out what that looks like or, you know, a a pre-writing ritual or something like that. First, you must get out the candles and they must be tallow candles and not beeswax. And then you must light the candle and walk Wittershins around your laptop while reciting poems for inspiration. Then burn the sage, but don't burn it so long that the alarm goes off and the sprinkler system cuts on. That's important. It's very important. And then uh, pluck the hair from a cat Ooh. And, and weave it into a shawl to wear while you write. That Maybe that's how, how I get them. <laughs> that's how you get them to like leave you alone. Cause like yes. keep coming over to them, plucking their hair to use for a shawl. Oh, there you go. So, they have no idea yes. why I'm laughing. They're just looking at me. They're like, what's happening? But yeah, it's, yeah. You know, sometimes you know, elaborate rituals. There are friends. Yeah. Or even just, I get my coffee. I sit down, I meditate for 30 seconds. <laughs> That's more what I was thinking, but I will yeah, invest in some sage too. soon. <laughs> works too. Okay, so the last thing that Rose and I talked about was, like, what what are her takeaways? What is her advice for writers and creators? And this is what she had to say. It does get better. I know everybody says it, but seriously, it does get better. And, you know, if you've, if you've done something like this before, then, then you'll know it really does get better. But don't be afraid to change things up, especially you may have had a routine that's been working for you and then something changes. Like, I don't know, they, they put fans in your favorite cafe, so you have to find a different cafe. Well, maybe try going and sitting in the park for a few hours or something if you can um, and seeing, you know, does, does this work better for you? Because sometimes changing your routine up will just put your brain in a different enough spot that you can, you, it, it's worried about that versus worrying about what you're doing, which means that you'll get stuff done. That sounds right. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you do need to change it up. It's true. It's like, I, you know, I remember, cause we were talking earlier about handwriting. I have gone through these phases where I'm like, I can't write this book at all unless I'm writing it out by hand, you know, the first mm. draft. And then that creates sadness because then you have to type it and you're just like, ah, um, I have a trick for that. But um, then I'll switch. And then suddenly it's like, I can only draft on the computer. Like I can, of course, you know, like do my outlining, do some journaling by hand or whatever. But like, I need to click the keys in order to like get any writing done. And then as soon as I get into that groove, it'll switch back. And <laughs> then I'll have to like do handwriting again. So like, uh, everything's we just talked about this everything's gonna change right but but yeah sometimes changing up or or like having things change around you that you have no control over yeah like I agree it can sometimes make it a little bit easier to to focus because your brain is just like ah oh, there's things here there's whatever and and you're like yeah fight the power and then you can like actually write <laughs> because you know you're fired up or whatever well and also maybe Again, for me, I think part of the reason I liked the bustle of the student union so much is because it was always a little different. It was mm -hmm. never exactly the same. And so I think that those changes in routines can kind of 
jolt us into focus, like, because, um, because it's not typical. So like subconsciously we think, oh, I, I actually need to like dedicate myself to this. Yeah. Well, I think that's it for this time. Uh, let me have Rose tell you where she can be found. Uh, so uh, you can find me at rosemaryorchard.com. Uh, you can also find uh, I have two podcasts, which are both available through whatever podcast medium you like. Uh, Automators, all about automating things and nested folders, which is productivity for. And I don't know why her audio cut out, but it's productivity focused. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. And it's and- again like a getting things done type methodology nested folders that's such a lovely image just put the folder in the folder in the folder in the folder in the folder it's how i organize things me too and then i can't find anything (laughs) (laughs) but yay but i'm so glad because yeah she sounds awesome i'm i'm excited to hear her podcast as well yeah and um you know she talked about how she likes pens tempest you and i also like fountain pens uh, so Rose and I had a day together at the San Francisco pen show in August, um, which was kind Lovely. of funny, uh, walking Aww. around with her and her eyes were very, it, it was my first pen show too. So I'm sure my eyes were equally big, but, uh, it was pretty fun. So you can find Rose at her website and that's where her social media and stuff is. You can also like go to our websites because we have things there. Right. We do. Like, I guess. Like my website <laughs> is ktempestbradford.com and your website is aleanmean.com, right? It is. Or you can find my business website at uh not at. Oh wow. Should we start this over? Sure. Okay. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Aline. You can find Tempest at Tiny Tempest sometimes. Um, you can also find our websites, ktempestbradford.com or aleanmean.com or appalanchmap.com, depending upon how you want to get in touch with us. And you can find the show's Twitter account at Originality FM. If you could, please tell people about the show. Um, the more listeners we get, the easier it gets to find guests, which means that it's easier for us to get episodes to you. And also we have a pool of interesting, creative, amazing people uh, to draw from with a variety of experiences, which really is what life is about. Yeah. Yeah. Until next time, go change things. <laughs>